Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. I have the distinct honor and pleasure of being in conversation with Dr. Stephen Farmer. He is a best-selling author, licensed psychotherapist, shamanic healer, somatic therapist, ordained minister, and former college professor. His extensive experience in the fields of psychotherapy and shamanic therapy allow him to provide his clients with a comprehensive and highly individualized counseling experience. He has created numerous best-selling published works, including Healing Ancestral Karma, Animal Spirit Guides, Pocket Guide to Spirit Animals, Earth Magic, Earth Magic Oracle Cards, Children's Spirit Animal Cards, and Children's Spirit Animal Stories, CD Volumes 1 and 2. In addition to his literary work, Dr. Stephen Farmer hosts workshops on topics related to animal spirit guides, soul healing, shamanism, and earth-centered spirituality. As you engage in this conversation, you'll enjoy much of his wisdom as well, and I invite you to explore more about what he offers by going to drstephenfarmer.com. Welcome. This is Dr. Stephen Farmer, and it's Healing for Your Soul, and I am really looking forward to the conversation today. I think you're going to enjoy uh, the conversation with Simran today, and like, tell us a little bit about the whole process of writing with these. That's a Amazing books, I must say. These these three books were born out of my own seven year process of really sitting still and going through an experience, deciding to be so present to it and feel every level of it. And I didn't realize what that <clears throat> excuse me what that process would introduce me to was the multi dimensional nature of myself. And so each book is an aspect of that multi dimensional nature. Living is the identity, personality, the person that walks through the world. Being is the underworld. It is all of those aspects that we don't know about ourselves on a conscious level. And knowing is the humanity that is born of that once we do become aware. And this, these books are not my story. I was inclined to write them in a way that an individual could insert their own life, their own story into it. And find, excuse me, find their own levels of enlightenment through that, because I believe that every single one of us, regardless of where we're from, how we were raised, what our economic or religious status is, can reach enlightenment if we simply face our own lives fully. Great. What, what does that mean to you, enlightenment? I feel like enlightenment is a full awareness and presence to oneself. It is a deep knowing and understanding of the self in relation to the world and in relation to the God spark that's within them. Mm, Okay. Well, I like that. Yeah. So uh, presence and awareness, I get two key words out of that, you know, really. And it's interesting because I just had a conversation with someone about presence and how important that is for her. Uh, As for myself too, (laughs) it's true. It's so easy to get distracted by the mental uh, gyrations that go on. Uh, Sometimes I'll uh, uh, wake up a little bit too early, I call it a little bit too early, (laughs) Uh, 
you know, 5 a.m. or something, I'll be awake and I will just have this. Let's see, today, this is what I have to do. I've got to do this today. And oh, yeah, I remember what you said you were going to do yesterday. You got to get that done today. And oh, gosh, I remember, you know. So it's like a- anticipation and memory. You know, these thoughts just kind of keep rolling in until I start. And the, the, what works for me is just to go, I am relaxed, which mm-hmm. is a statement of I am, obviously. And then relaxed on the out breath. And it's a nice pattern to go through. And then eventually it's I drift off. Very interesting. Anyway, that's a bit of a sidelight to what we're talking about here. But uh, let's go back to this this book here that I have in front of me, Being, which is the second in the trilogy. And uh, it sounds like, if I understand you correctly, Simran, that it, it does go into some of the, shall we say, darker aspects of experience. Is that accurate or not? It does. It goes into the denser layers of who we are. Um, it's It answers the questions, you know, what are we and when are we? We, in spirituality, there's a lot of focus on the shadow. And so that has started to become a more common term for people in personal and spiritual growth to start looking at their shadow. Uh, but what I discovered in my own exploration was once you have explored the shadow, if you're willing to go deeper, you start to uncover the animal. And that is what we are. There's this side of us that's the animal that is instinctual, that uh, is intuitive, that is trusting, that is present. But there's also this animal side of us that is hungry and that is carnivorous, that is um, the type that is going to stalk their prey, the type that uh, is feral almost. And I was led to see that aspect of myself in a very profound way. And once moving through the animal, I discovered the face of the monster. And my question has always been, you know, for things to be occurring outside of me, particularly on a larger scope in the world, for me to even be aware of those things, those outer faces must only reflect an inner face that I have and but have not connected to. And I believe that what we hold in consciousness out pictures in order to point itself back towards our inner world. And so to meet these monstrous faces within me, to have an understanding that we can all possess any of these ideas and thoughts and expressions opened me up to levels of compassion and kindness that I could not have accessed unless I fully embraced the monster inside myself. And once past the monster, I discovered the inner demon or inner demons And I think we have to get to a place where we're willing to really see all of who we are, understanding that some of that may have come from this lifetime and our own experiences, but more often than not, it is what has traversed through time and been carried through our bloodlines and our ancestry, our cultural upbringing and our religiosity that we keep carrying forward, but keep bearing very, very deeply within our bodies. And they there seems to be no I wouldn't even say seems there is there's a lot of cultural pressure uh indoctrination we could even call it to sort of ignore those aspects lest they be acted out in some way you know and it does happen you know we we're seeing it in the world you know the way that those aspects get acted out and expressed in the physical realm yes and, and the illusions that i talk about in this book they actually help to facilitate those in staying suppressed. And 
doing that helps to facilitate these illusions in feeling like the way of the world. So we buy into these illusions, which only then further keeps us from our personal power, purpose, and peace. And the illusions being? I talk about seven illusions within the book Being, and they are time, duality, money, hierarchy, identity, evolution, and war. And some of those may be surprising to people. In fact, when they read this book, they're going to be certain sections I'm certain are going to be quite triggering. And there may be even areas that are considered blasphemous because we are not taught to look at how self-obsessed and self-absorbed we are and how we propagate these illusions and continue to pass them on to other generations so that they continue to live uh, almost incarcerated by them. <laughs> I, it, the, the phrase that comes to mind is the culture of narcissism. You know, the, wait, this is important. This affects me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something like that. And even uh, uh, examining a book, I went uh, earlier today to do a stress test, you know, which is, by the way, I got an A plus. So, you know, yay. Uh, uh, yeah, yay. <laughs> but I picked up a book and it was uh, related to abundance and prosperity and such like that. And I got to say that, you know, just in the brief reading while I was waiting, you know, to go in for the stress test, I was reading about the language in it. It's about, um, to see, 19, about 20 years old, you know, the book was published. And it, it just had this reference in there. And I wish I could remember exactly how it said about, basically, it was about acquisition. You know, mm -hmm. you can manifest anything you want. And I want to hear you, your, your view, but I'm thinking... Well, that's kind of what our culture is based on, you know, acquire, acquire, acquire. And I, I'm subject to it too. You know, I'm not the only one in the crowd that goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to be altruistic, you know, and all this. No, I like things like George Carlin talks about stuff, you know, all the stuff that we all have. You know, we take this stuff with us when we travel and the stuff, you know, that sort of thing. Anyway, I'm, I'm rattling on here, but uh, curious what you're take on that is or any comments you might have about that? You know, one of the illusions that I have is money and it has everything to do with our material obsessions. Uh, each of the illusions has a certain obsession that we, we carry on. And by creating this world where we're really conditioning people into this idea of attainment, what we're really doing is feeding the hunger inside of them. And it doesn't just have to do with money or materialism. I mean, we do it even in spirituality. We feed people's hunger in personal growth. We feed their hunger to be better. And all of that is distraction. You know, the more we accumulate, it doesn't necessarily make us feel better inside or even feel better about ourselves. It just distracts us long enough so that we don't have to face those parts of ourselves. And it also shows our incredible distrust of life, of who we are, of the way of, of natural organization in terms of universal law. And so much of our culture is built on that vice of greed. And when we face how greedy we each are, it's not to say, you know, someone's bad, we're terrible, we shouldn't want things. It's okay to have all these things. But can we be in check with the vices that we carry to have a deep understanding that there's a part of us that is that hungry person, 
there, there is a part of us that is monstrous enough to do whatever it takes to get what we want. Like to really understand that these levels of being are operating within us all of the time. We are simply present to the surface identity so that we can feel good about who we are as the mask. And I think it's important that individuals understand that all these levels of being are present all the time, but we are not present to them. Once we're present to them, our thoughts, words, and actions will be different. We won't fall victim to these illusions in the same way. We'll be more conscious about uh, what we accumulate or how we use things or how we even use the greatest resource of all, which is people. You know, money is the equivalent to our relationship to money is equivalent to our relationship to people. And if we're grabbing material, grabbing money, using those things in a way that is uh, loose or wasteful, it also depicts how we use people, how we are wasteful of our relationships or our connections. And so there's a lot to learn on very many deep levels throughout this book that is designed to not let us be altruistic, but let us tap into what we are making real that's not real. Mm. I, I flashed on a, a old older movie uh, called Wall Street and Michael Douglas portraying, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but I remember his he was teaching his younger or he was mentoring somebody and said, yeah, greed is, greed is good. <laughs> and I'm thinking, boy, that says a lot right there. Just that statement, you know, along the lines of what you're saying. So you're, you're suggesting that it's um, perhaps even critical, I was going to say important, but critical in some ways for the, for us to sort of bust ourselves, you know, with these illusions, to be able to put the light of awareness and, and be present with some of these illusions, if not all of them, so that we can see the deeper strata that stems from instinct, like you said, again, the word hunger, like, what is this hunger? What's driving this hunger? Mm -hmm. Right. Is that a fair? Yes. Yes. And the reason is it, it's, it's kind of like using, you know, how they make uh, vaccines is they use the, uh, the disease itself to kind of give you the vaccine to, to ward off the immunity. It's almost like we have to become more self-obsessed to see who we are in order to heal that for ourselves. And the reason we want to do that is because truly all human beings want to do good. We all really do want to serve the world. We all want to help the world be a better place. What we're not cognizant of is how we are creating the world that's outside. So within each of the illusions, I have a global reflection because we are reflecting something globally, individually and collectively. And so for money, you know, material obsessions is the obsession, but the global reflection is of fashion. You know, what is in fashion? Well, it is a certain type of car. It is a certain lifestyle. It is how much jewelry you wear. It's the right tennis shoes. It's eating in a certain place. It's, you know, it's, it creates a sense of fashion and trend and all of those things, which then feed the animal even more. And mm -hmm. so once we realize we've fallen into that hole of greed, the key to getting out of that is to trust that if I really let go of all of these ideas of what I think I have to have and trusted that what I needed will come to me, you know, what will it take for me to cultivate that? And the shift would be in consciousness, which means Instead of being business people, 
we need to move into being philanthropeneurs, which means a balance between the giving and the not just take, 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 not just what it's about for me or my company or me individually, but realizing that there is supposed to be this infinite balance of exchange. Mm. And from that place where we're serving the whole through the creations of the types of businesses that serve the whole. And that's all about cultivating the connection that is necessary to shift the world. I remember uh, a book I read recently, Robin Wall Kimmerer, and it's called Braiding Sweetgrass. Mm. She's both a biologist and Native American. And one of the things that I culled from that book is this term that I love, res or word, reciprocity. It, you know, and I love words just like yourself. But I th what, you're, what you're speaking of here, I would put in that way of describing it in a single word, reciprocity. Never take more than you can give. Never, you know, it, there's an exchange that goes on. Uh, my garden out front, which uh, I was doing fairly well, you know, I, I need to tend to it. I was out of things for a couple of weeks there, but I need to tend to it more. But it's also simple things like offering an exchange, you know, here's some sacred tobacco. Thank you. And also going out and talking to the plants, yes. you know, knowing that you have a relationship with those plants. Sometimes even Sandra Ingerman, who's a fairly well-known shamanic practitioner, okay, um, she said, you know, what she has her students do when she has an in-person event is go out and don't try to like uh, do a spiritual thing, you know, with the trees. Go out and sit by a tree and start talking to the tree as if it was a person you're meeting. You know, ask them about what was your life like before? What was it like to be a seed? When did you first appear? You know, how is your relationship with mother? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought that is so clever. I love so that. I, yeah, isn't that cool? And then you can go into maybe another strata, which is to uh, know that that tree is also a physical expression of a larger force or tree spirit, you could say. So then you can develop a relationship not only with that tree, but with tree spirit. Again, uh, I call them sales reps. You know, <laughs> where they're going, hey, you want to talk, you know, to something larger than you? Simran, you mentioned the seven layers. Can you address one more of those layers? You know, you said one is money. Yes. Um, so we could talk about duality because that's something or the contrast that exists because so many people are uh, often frustrated or angered by the contrast or why something doesn't change or why more bad supposedly happens in the world than good. And what it boils down to has everything to do with the separation inside. You know, any separation we have externally is going to be according to the separation that exists internally. Yeah. And so that duality has everything to do with our secret obsessions. You know, what are we secretly pining for? What are the secrets that we keep you know, in regard to our family and our culture? What are we secretly um, harboring in terms of jealousy or anger or all of these other emotions? And so it really is about the secret types of obsessions that we carry day to day while carrying a different face externally. And that leads to a global reflection of climate change. You know, we the climate change is such a huge topic and it has everything to do with how our world is going to be affected and how, 
you know, growth of crops and the animals and the sustenance that we have as a planet and whether we stay or whether we don't stay. But when we look at that, you know, the climate change has everything to do with our inner climate. And if we are harboring storms internally, then we're only going to create things that create the storms externally. If we are feeling uh, lack and barren internally, we're only going to create more barrenness outside. You know, if we are not holding things sacredly, then we're removing the protection that keeps us safe and sacred. And so it really is a very intimate exploration to understand our obsessions. And it has everything to do with the whole inside that is the lust that we carry, how we lust after what other people want, other things that are there, how we lust to be more than we are, how we lust to be in the future as opposed to into the present. You know, there are all these ways we lust that we don't even realize are that vice. And only when we move into this space, which is the key of tenderness, where we can be tender with ourselves for all that we feel. It's not even about changing that because it's about being with the feeling. The only way the feeling or the sensations change and dissolve is to be with them. But can we be tender with ourselves while being so lustful, by, while wanting what our neighbor has, while wanting to be better than we are, while wanting to be in a place of ascension instead of on the ground? You know, can we just be tender? with who we are. And when we can, we end up being tender with other people. We release mm. the egotism and we move into being a humanitarian <clears throat> and we begin to cultivate appreciation. Each of the illusions have something that we are here to cultivate. And by cultivating appreciation, then we receive ourselves. And in receiving ourselves, we create greater unity. So each of the illusions takes individuals through seven levels where First, they face themselves. They get to be horrified because I was. <laughs> we do get to be horrified at who we are. And then we all of a sudden get to have compassion for that part hmm. of ourselves because we really were innocent in taking on all of the beliefs and ideas that we bought into. And then comes the true love. Then comes the tenderness, the gentleness, the kindness that we long for from other people. But we finally get to give it to ourselves. And when we give it to ourselves, we're able to give it to the world. Amen. Um, I flashed on a couple of different experiences that I think are, that fall within the framework you just described, which really isn't a framework, but that's the best word I've got so far. And that is after a, a divorce and a separation. Um, and I, at that point, I was very willing to go into that instinctual pain. I'm not sure if that's fair to say instinctual, but the deep, deep grief, mm -hmm. you know, of something like that. And I, I find it, it seems like a lot of people are afraid of that, you know? And so based on what you're describing, then what happens is that it gets projected because it's not aware, or I should say that it gets reflected Yes. projected and reflected in the outer world in some way, whether it's the more immediate world that you exist in or the larger context, the larger world. But I do remember a funny part of it. And, uh, and it's okay to say uh, a certain word that you'll hear here. But I remember after that, I, I came, uh, we actually, we were having a great time. We were traveling a lot and everything like that. And then she just kind of pulled the plug, you know, in a way. I'm not a victim. I don't mean it that way. 
But in doing so, uh, we had a house in Hawaii. We had a house in Laguna Beach. So I came back to the house in Laguna Beach. And I remember going to sleep that night. Uh, a couple of things happened. One, every morning I'd wake up and I would go, oh, fuck, I'm still alive. <laughs> and that, that was just a statement of like the, the depth of uh, grief. And the other was sometimes it would hit me in the middle of whatever, fixing breakfast or something. I would put everything down, go into the other room, lay on the floor in a fetal position and just bawl my eyes out. And there was a purifying effect that took place with that. And again, I, listeners, I hope you're not offended by the F word, but um, that's basic and truthful. <laughs> um, you know, um, I resonate so much with that because so much of the seven-year experience had a lot to do with grief. And I found that grief mm. is the portal to awareness and presence. When you are that present to your grief, you're going to meet all of those voices and places and to not judge them, but to just let them be where they are is the, the greatest act of human grace we can give ourselves because we have to allow those to be. Otherwise they get buried and when they get buried, we end up having resentments and they fester and they become the, the deep disease, not only internally, but externally in our world. Mm. And I, I know that grief is not the easiest emotion to hold, but I would invite individuals to really be swallowed whole by your grief because it will take you places you cannot reach in any other way. And right. you will be washed clean of many identities that are no longer serving you so that you can truly emerge in a more powerful way. Um, I was thinking, I'm curious your thoughts on this, that there's something of a connection between allowing yourself to feel and experience that grief, to be swallowed by it. I like that way of describing it. And ultimately compassion. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I think that when we can experience the depth of that kind of grief, and then we look around and see the suffering in the world, rather than, um, how would I say, hooking into the suffering is to be able to offer something up, you know, of, of compassion, care, love, gestures of kindness, etc. that kind of thing. But I think we have to touch, I, I agree with you, we have to touch something of a greater depth in order to feel the greater depth of, shall we say, the flip side, which is extending that compassion that we had for ourselves, which sounds a little weird to say to allow ourselves to grieve. But I think that's a compassion and act and a way to purge, it to is. clear that stuff out so that, oh, okay, now I can go out and water the garden. Yes, you know, so many people, they want purpose. They want to find peace. They want to find their power, but they don't realize it's buried underneath all the stuff that we don't feel. And the majority of people in the world, what they do is they stick their toe in the pool. You know, they, they maybe stick their foot in or they sit on the stoop for a few minutes and think that that's called feeling, but that's not really immersion. You know, what I'm talking about, what you're talking about is falling into the deep end and letting yourself sink to the bottom and mm. just staying there for a while and waiting for something else, some other force to come in and scoop you up and raise you back up. 
Not yeah. another person, not anyone else. No one else can save you in that place. Yeah. It's allowing the act of grace to come in and hold you in the grief that you're back in the womb space with the mother, feeling all the rawness that exists within you while that purges. And the beauty of being in the water is you start to realize I'm not separate from the tears that I'm crying. Yeah. They're actually holding me. They're not leaving me. They're holding yeah. And it's, it's sacred. It is one of the most sacred experiences I've ever had. Oh, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. It's a very sacred experience. Um, I remember, you know, part of that process too, of one time, you know, I almost said wallowing in the grief, but in a good way. I wallowed. You know, like we're talking, yeah. (laughs) But then I remember like climbing the stairs, you know, I'm like crawling up these stairs. And then I looked up and I went, and I said this out loud too. I went, oh yeah, I got to change that light bulb. It was so weird, you know, just to come out of that completely. <laughs> oh wait, we're not done. Back in it, you know, yeah. continue crawling up the stairs. Well, you had a very uh, powerful event a few years back. Like you said, seven years ago. Would you be willing to comment on that or tell us? My, what- my experience had to do with loss. Um, two children mm-hmm. that were no longer with me. And it was it was the most heartbreaking experience that I could have ever had because there was nothing I could do. I had no control. I had no way of bringing back time to where it was before that. And it felt like an epitome of darkness to where it really was the culmination of me saying, I've been devoted to the light. My work is being devoted to the journey of the soul. I have done everything I can to be light. But to be here now, you know, what is it that the darkness can give me? Because obviously right now the light is not there. And so the light must have fallen into the darkness and that's where I need to go. And I discovered that so much of what I had done prior, my three prior books, the magazine, the radio show, all of it is such a beautiful thing that that part of me created at that time. But after going through the grief and finding the light, the true light that's within that, I realized that who I was before was really artificial lighting. It wasn't real light. It was beautiful. It lit up a room. It was very nice, but it was artificial lighting. It wasn't the true embodied integrated light that just radiates simply because you know things that are at such a deep level. And that's, I think, what our soul truly yearns for us is to integrate at such a deep level, an embodied level, and to experience humanity. We came here to feel every feeling, to know every emotion, to understand every level of our beingness. And to not do that is, to me, the waste of life. You know, life to me is not about attainment or reaching a certain status or becoming somebody or you know, having fame or money or anything else, it's can I know myself to the Mm. depths of who I am? Because Mm. to know the universe is to know me. And I would say that's the same for everyone else. Uh, In uh, regular, regularly, I take my dog or both dogs out for a walk to the local park. And I commented on this, I think, in our, our first podcast, but it bears repeating related to what you were just saying is I'll often just basically listen 
you know what? Because I get a lot of things in the uh, inner voice. I call it the voice or the teacher or ancestors. You know, it doesn't matter the name, but that force that is guiding and directing me. And um, I was pondering intellectually, I was pondering, what is the fundamental purpose of life? You know, big questions. Okay, right? <laughs> big, big questions. I don't, I don't fool around with the small stuff, you know. <laughs> big questions like, how do we create world peace? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm pondering this, you know, what is the fundamental purpose? And boy, that the voice came through loud and clear. And it said, it's to experience life. Mm. All the rest are details. And I've, that, I've kept that because it's related to what you're saying is like fundamentally at the foundation of what we're here for is to simply experience life. And something about that, Simran, you know, I'm in the park, I'm looking at the trees and I even get a little flash of it right now is I get the relationship that I have with everything. You know what I mean? Just that two seconds, you know, <sighs> wow. I would call it awe. Yes. A-W-E. Just that full-bodied experience. What a privilege this is, suffering and all. You know what I mean? Yes, it, it really is. It kind of goes back to what you were saying before with your word reciprocity. You know, as long as we feel like we're just this individual who is separate from everyone and everything else trying to make our way through life, we miss out on that reciprocity, including the reciprocity of suffering, including the reciprocity of letting go, of uh, allowing identities to die so that something new can be born, including the reciprocity of those around us and the engagement of being bigger than the skin we're in. And so it's, you know, what a, what a beautiful sentiment to bring across about this beautiful, amazing blessing that we have as life and how each day should be lived in that awe and wonder, even in the depths of despair or in the ecstatic bliss you know, of an awareness, you know, all of it is to be odd and wonderful. I like that. Yeah. Very well stated. Um, what are your plans from here? You've got another book that's on its way. Yeah. Uh, are, are you, what are your inspiration? What, where are you going from here? What do you see well, happening? It's interesting after being in, in such a state of presence for the seven year process and then being really present to writing these books, I only know to live in the moment and figure out, let, let whatever's going to come, come. Uh, the yeah. one thing it did teach me was not to plan, not mm. to have an agenda, not to uh, look to the future in a way of what can I do next, but to really sit in each moment and embrace the ordinary, just to mm. embrace being human, being having life, uh, embrace the people that come across my path and not get caught up in the illusions because it's very easy to slip back and to fall into the conditioning of the world. And so I think mostly it's a daily reminder to myself of, you know, what am I? I am a divine spark that has been placed in a sacred vessel to experience this world. When am I? I am right here right now. And who am I? I am the animal 
the shadow, the monster, the demon, the human, the God. And I walk in the world with all of those eyes open. Wow. Yeah. I am rarely this, but I'm a bit speechless. <laughs> that was a really good way to describe it. But I'll get I'll get back to it here. <laughs> no problem at all. Anyway, we have to close here in just a little bit. But uh, I am going to have the pleasure of having you as a guest again on a, another podcast down the road. Once the book is released, we can talk more about that. There's living, being, and knowing. And I appreciate your wisdom, the wisdom that you offer. You know, it comes from uh, a real a dedication and also that you were born to do this. It's just the way it is. Well, thank you. It's so. a pleasure and an honor speaking with you. And if if I do nothing else but get people to slow down and just be where they are and take the pauses, then my work has been done. Oh, great. Reminds me of in uh, one of my Oracle cards, uh, a turtle shows up. And what when I was doing the Oracle cards, I would listen to what the spirit animal had to say. And, and turtle was a riot, just like what you were saying, slow down. <laughs> And the way he said it, though, was a riot. He would speak through me in this voice. He, he said, slow down. Yes. <laughs> you have all the time in the world. And even when I say that, I want to go, oh, my whole body relaxes. Yeah, slow down, yeah. gang. You know, there's no hurry. You know, keep keep showing up. You, you, you know, you get off the horse, get back on the horse. You know, there's different ways to say it is as much as you possibly can. And I'm, I'm perhaps lecturing a little bit here, but I'm also hearing it myself too, is, you know, stay present, you know, be present, not stay, but be present because it is a fluidity to it, but be present to whatever shows up. Just a wealth of information, stimulation, uh, inspiration, etc. exercises that people can do uh, I, I almost say rather than reading the whole book through is take your time. You know, it's not one to be gobbled up, let's say in a couple of days or anything like that. They were written for individuals to really sip, slowly sip. I don't want anyone to read through these books. I want them to either read a few lines or a paragraph, maybe a page daily or open the book, like you said, in the beginning of the book, I tell five different ways that it can be used. And it really is a mystical oracle. It is a guidebook, a manual that has been created or set of manuals that have been created had the soul sent you with a set of instructions when you were born. And, and that's what I want people to realize, because these three books will navigate them through any and every kind of experience that we have as human beings and those experiences which we cycle through over and over and over again in this world of contrast. All right, that's amazing. How were you, what inspired you, you know, to begin this journey? I have long been creating media and writings uh, that were focused on the light, that were in part to support my own personal growth and spiritual development and to share that beauty and inspiration with the world. And eight years ago, I encountered an experience in my life that plunged me into the most extreme state of loss and grief that I could have ever encountered. Mm. And it was one of those debilitating moments where 
you really do fall to your knees and there's no strength to come back up. And the grief was so intense that I knew that I could no longer be that type of conditioned human being that followed those platitudes of just getting on with life or trying to, to focus on something else. I knew that there was something here that the universe was trying to show me because I am intensely devoted to the soul. That's the byline of 1111 magazine. And so I asked myself a question and that question was, can I be as fully devoted to this place of darkness as I have been to the light? Because some part of me knew there was a great wealth within that darkness, that there was Mm. true light, true gold embedded in there if I was willing to stay deeply present for however long it was asking me to. And I didn't realize that it would be seven years, but it showed me a cycle. It showed me a a pattern, a, a rhythm that we all follow in dissolving conditioned energies and parts of ourselves that we've grown into that are not the truth of who we are. Mm. They certainly aren't written for people to have to go through this for seven years. Hopefully the books will help shorten that process for individuals. But for me to bring forth this information, I had to be that present to touch every nuance within that place of the void. You had to dive deep. Yes. Yes. To sink, I had to be swallowed whole by the darkness. And so I let myself do that. Uh, amazing and courageous, I must say, Simran. Um, I am of the strong belief that that's such an important part of our, shall we say, human development or embrace the darkness. You know, whatever the darkness is in myself, if they are consciously brought to awareness in some fashion, in some way, then there's an opportunity there to dispel them. And I like that word, to take the spell away from the way they've captivated us in that way. And in line with what you're saying too, Simran, um, I, I time and time again across stories, teachers, etc., that it in some way talk about jumping into the suffering, you know, that suffering's part of the deal. You know, when we sign on for this life, that we're inevitably going to go through periods of suffering. Sometimes, you know, just little bumps in the road and sometimes major, as you described, you know, one that just swirls you down into the depths and something in you was or is wired to go into it to that degree. I mean, it, it takes, I, I want to say it again, it takes an amazing amount of courage to do that. And I admire you for your willingness to do it. And obviously you were guided or called to do this, correct? I was. I think I'm naturally an avid explorer. I have always wanted to understand life, make meaning of the things that that happen and why we're here. And I naturally have seen patterns started off with numbers. 1111 is significant for that reason. So I've always noticed these different patterns and rhythms and dots and whispers and conversations with the universe that take place. And so I've been in this relationship with life that is very intimate. And I think, you know, looking at the work that you do and delving into your card decks and books and and writings, it's very evident that your own shamanic background and your own uh, way of 
guiding people through subconscious with your card decks and things like that. It's very much that same flavor in terms of helping us go deep and helping us go beyond the surface of what we see Mm. and touch the metaphysical in a very palpable and intimate way. And with us being in a world of duality in a place of contrast and now more than ever feeling the discomfort and the things that are rising up in the world, it's time to stop pushing against them and start to realize that what we're here is to master ourselves through this amazing obstacle course that is earth and life. Hmm. We can look at it in that way and understand that every experience that we encounter is not really here to knock us down, but to help us shed the skins of what's no longer real for us then all of a sudden it's not about ascension or being beyond this world. It's about bringing spirit into the body and deeply embodying not only that, but everything about this world. Uh, I have always had a little trouble with the word ascension <laughs> because it, uh, if I think of it as um, ascending, it feels to me or I take it this way that it's like, okay, rise above it. You know, let's just rise above it. You know, let's just uh, shine the light, you know, and yet there's still this lingering darkness <laughs> that's uh, in a very real sense haunting you so that in a way it follows you around until you acknowledge its presence in some way. So I totally agree with that. I've, I, I can never I could never grasp that, you know, the, the idea of ascension. You know, and I, I maybe I'm a uh, sometimes a little cynical too. Well, I, let's let me admit, yes, I am. I I think that's part of owning the shadow of, let's say, cynicism. Uh, what is all this stuff, you know, about? But I also recognize that it's better. My experience is better that I I see that, and if possible, be able to uh, laugh about it. You know, not take it too seriously. It's there, but it doesn't dominate you know, my being, it doesn't dominate who I am in the world. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think that it's kind of rather than cynicism, it's this healthy skepticism, which we are supposed to have, because our, our desire to ascend, or this idea that's propagated of the positivity movement, you know, or uh, uh, even, you know, rising up into galactic realms, there's a shadow side of escapism to all of that. And we would not have come to earth if we were not here to embody this place. We wouldn't come here to leave. We would come here to be here. And so that is the walk of the human being. And when we really deepen into that walk, what we discover is that we've never really tapped into our true humanity. We think we have humanity, Mm. but we can look at our world and see that we don't have humanity. And humanity is not this outer thing of the collective of these other people. Humanity is, are we willing to feel? Can we be vulnerable? Will we open to every emotion and experience that life has to offer and again, be swallowed whole by it so that we know it? Because I believe that that's what creative capacity desired for each of us to explore. That is the eye it wants to see through in every set of 8 billion eyes that it has come to experience itself through. And so to deny our experiences, to deny our emotions, to deny the thoughts and expressions that we have is to deny the divine, the ultimate reason that it created everything in the first place. I, yeah, <laughs> well stated. 
Um, I recall Robert Bly, a poet that was very active in what this uh, so-called men's movement in the 80s, which I was involved in. Uh, and he wrote a book, a great book called uh, The Little Book on the Human Shadow, you know, mm. that had some, it really was dealing with some of the themes we're talking about here. But I do remember what he said about descending. He said, I always used to think, you know, I, that my poetry, you know, I, I wanted it to ascend, you know, and bring inspiration and light. And he said, but tell you what, when I started to descend, to descend, that's when my poetry really got much, much better. And having read some of it, I'm not a poetry buff, but I've read some of his poems. And yeah, boy, it's so right on. You know, oh, there's... Read Hafiz, or you read Rumi, or you read any of these people, or even if you listen to the songs that really crack your heart open, or look at the artwork that makes you just drench with tears, all of those things come from a place of really sinking down deep and low. They don't come from a lofty place of even imagination. They come from a sense of knowing. And I just feel like we're at a time where if individuals are willing to really know themselves first from their most false self to their highest self, then all of a sudden that's where we become sacred activists in the world. That's where we shift the outer collective and experience that we're having. Otherwise, we're going to continue to create the same things in our lives and in the world. Boy, amen. Love, compassion, and kindness flower after experiencing life on both sides of the tracks. Within the ecstatic bliss of death is the piercing cry of joy. Speaking of poetry, that's very poetic. Uh, comments? I believe that we die repeatedly in this life before we ever die physically. And when we can get comfortable in the embrace of that darkness, decay, and death, then all of a sudden we can really flower into true aliveness and rebirth and the willingness to be completely different than we ever have before. You know, all the spiritual traditions and masters talk about letting go, letting go, letting go. And yet that tends to be the hardest thing in the world for us to do. I found that the loss and the grief that I experienced eight years ago Although it was the most excruciating experience of my life, it was the most spiritually growing. It was as if I opened a gateway or a portal to be able to uh, dissolve many pieces and parts of myself, which made me me. And as long as I was clinging so tightly to the identity that I was, then how could I possibly ever touch infinity? How could I possibly ever be more than that? And so I think that when we can love ourselves enough to die every single day, then all of a sudden we reach that place of unlimited love that allows a type of birth to come through us in ever expanding ways beyond that. Death is always right here. You know, you're, you might as well meet it while it's hanging around, you know, in some way. I want to ask you, though, you know, for the listeners uh, who, have, who, are, who have heard your story and what you've talked about, what advice, what counsel would you provide for them for if they are going, let's say, a, a, through a divorce or some heavy loss of some sort? Because as you uh, referred to earlier, you know, the, the world's a little crazy right now. 
people, though, on a personal level going through something like that, what would be your counsel? Well, I think that's the reason that I felt called to write Living the Seven Blessings of Human Experience, because the first blessing is life. And life then is followed by these six other blessings, which will always follow the same course. And the second blessing is the blessing of challenge. We will encounter challenge. And once we encounter challenge, we will encounter conflict. And once we encounter conflict, we'll encounter the blessing of chaos and then the blessing of obstacles. And then comes the blessing of darkness and the blessing of death. Things like divorce, things like a child moving off to college, things like losing a job or changing a career, things like uh, any type of transition is an asking for us to transcend who we have always been and see if there is something more. What I discovered about myself as I let go of being the wife, the daughter, the business person, even the 1111 person, because I stopped everything at that time. I even had to let go of being the mother. All of a sudden, there was nobody and I had no one and there was no one to be there were all these attachments that I started to realize were the sources of pain. And so there are going to be these self-given graces that will eventually follow suit. And that's why there's a third book. These books are individual and can be read individual. Uh, each of the blessings has seven layers that a person will move through. But as they go through these, this is a multidimensional experience. They can also go across the books. So with living, they move into being, which has aspects of our being that we uncover, the animal, the shadow, the monster, the demon. And only when we embrace these parts of us can we then move into the places of grace. And so it is this multidimensional experience of uncovering who we are. And when we bump up against life, in any of those things, challenge, chaos, conflict, obstacles, darkness, and death, then to sit fully in the space that we have found ourselves, to let it be absorbed completely, because that's where the dissolving is. And when we allow ourselves to fully feel everything and be with where our life has brought us, to me, that is the place of enlightenment. And from that place, any person regardless of their economic status, their religious affiliation, where they've been brought up, how they've been brought up, their childhood, they can transcend all limitations of identity, masks, or thinking that they have had in the past. What people do with that is they try to go back to who they know they are. And, and that's the attachment. That's where we stuck in the same mindsets, the same lens that we see through, the same ways of thinking, the same behaviors. And perhaps when we're not feeling ourselves is the perfect time to leap into the unknowing and discover all the parts of us that we have not yet met. Uh, amen. True. I was thinking of um, what, what I, I've always been fascinated by is cults and the cultic mentality. And um, I don't want to pick up, pick on any particular um, cult, <laughs> but there are, there are a few of them hanging around here. And I think we see a lot of that in the divisiveness, certainly in the U.S. and elsewhere, 
this complete divisiveness about who's right. And my identity is so wrapped up in having a tribe or a group that has agreement of some sort on this is how you do it and everybody else is wrong. You know, and what a, what, and how, how we humans, what we'll do is we'll collect other people around us, yes. you know, to support these, frankly, these illusions, you know, that somehow uh, there's a righteousness that if you, as soon as you're righteous, everything else that doesn't fit in that structure is wrong. There, there's a, there's a couple of fascinating movies that uh, I mentioned again, not to pick on any one particular cult. I almost joined a cult up in Vancouver, Vancouver one time. I participated in a lot of their activities. It was great for me at that time. It doesn't matter the name at this point. It's been several years, but it was very dramatic. And I'm, I've got, speaking of shadow, a drama queen, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, there's that side of me. It was very, but it was also broke me open, you know, mm-hmm. to, to really experience the suffering. So I'll always be grateful for that. But I came close to it, but I never made the move. You know, as I, they say, I never drank the Kool-Aid. But then when I stick back from it, I went, you know, it's so interesting to get caught up in that mindset and to feel like, oh, there are other people that will totally support, you know, that uh, that way of thinking and that identity. Uh, the movies Under the Banner of Heaven, a book I read some years ago by John Krakauer. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, it's a movie now uh, and a really well done movie. And the other one is uh, um, Stay Sweet. Pray and obey. Oh, I have not. I have not familiar with that one. I'll have to look that up. You know, it, pride loves an audience, and <laughs> good one. We yeah. love to create evidence for what we believe, and you know, we can talk about cults, and that's kind of the blatant extreme expression that we see in the world. But if we really go to the subtle, you know, childhood wounding, the stories that we believe and perpetuate religions, belief systems, they're all cultish. Everything is cultish. It's all conditioned. It's all conformity. And what I came to realize was that each one of us, every single action that we make is actually a reaction to our childhood wounds, our choices of career, who we affiliate ourselves with, the way we think, every single step that we make in our lives stems out of the reaction of the childhood wound that we originally have from zero to seven, which is part of the reason the books have the seven on there. Hmm. And so it's necessary for us to let go of all of it, including the stories, including the wounds, including everything that we've come to believe, because otherwise we will continue to perpetuate the same types of things because we're following a program. Hmm. And that is why when the book's, when people partake of the books, number one, they can't read them fast because of the way they're written. But number two, there's a certain type of writing that I have placed in there to really bring people present to the various multidimensional aspects of themselves. So they will see the word you written in triplicate. There will be a capital Y-O-U, which is the identity that they are at this time that they know themselves Mm. slash a lowercase Y-O-U which is the shadow animal monster demon self inside of them that they are unwilling to see slash a capital Y-O-U, which is their humanity, which is the open heart that allows the ladder towards their highest self. Mm. And when we realize that we're not just operating in one of those places, but 
all of those places at the same time and just not present to it, Mm -hmm. then we start to understand why there's chaos in the world or in our lives or in ourselves. And it's because we have parts of ourselves operating and expressing without us knowing. I got to tell you something that just happened, uh, referencing what you just described. Thank you. Yes. I had I have your book, um, the first one, Living, sitting here, and it was open from the last reading. And a little breeze came up and <laughs> folded over about five or six pages. Uh, I'll show, well, uh, I, the <laughs> listeners can't necessarily see it. Guess what I landed on? Oh, please tell. <laughs> The Blessing of Chaos. Ah, yes. (laughs) As we're talking, I'm going to read just this short piece that you put, the invitation. Open your eyes, there is nothing. Close your eyes, there is no thing. Open your eyes, there is everything. Close your eyes, there is everything. What exists does so to the degree you are present. Life is a choice, one that you make in every moment. Choose well. I want to applaud you for that one. (laughs) I don't know if that's allowed, but thank you. And I love the synchronicity of that happening just as you're talking about learning to accept the chaos, you know, especially uh, even the chaos of what we could describe as the disillusion, you know, being able to allow those shadows to dissolve so that they're not dominating one's, one's being. Uh, the attachment to certain identities. I just would ask if there's any other comments you might want to make about uh, living or the subjects we've been talking about. Uh, yes. I, thank you for your story and, and about the psychedelics. I think one thing I've encountered with so many people is we hold guilt or we bash ourselves about the choices we've made or the things that we've experienced in life. And oftentimes that can result in regret Uh, about not being in a certain place. And what I have discovered is that everything is exactly as it's meant to be, (laughs) that we are simply here as experience, pure and simple. And so if that experience was psychedelics, if that experience was a divorce, if that experience was having a family, if that experience was growing a business, if that experience was having an affair, it's experience. And we can just be that. Because in the blessing of chaos, what we are here to do is engage the path of the humanitarian. And that humanitarian is here to be, uh, to have humanity for ourselves. And we are here to reflect a certain energy. And that's the energy of earth, which is grounding. Mm. And the blessing of chaos asks us for a certain type of growth. And that's the growth of our physical mastery. We're here to master this earth plane, master our bodies, master our minds. And we do that through inviting stillness, a truth. The truth of stillness will help us uncover what is true about us. And through that, the next step of a blessing comes wisdom. And when we listen to the wisdom that stirs from inside of us, we are able to unify with a certain aspect. And in that blessing of chaos, it is the feminine. And the feminine is that place where we go into the depths and the darkness and we hear and we receive and we nurture and we birth. And that allows what to come forth in gifts as communication, empathy, and intuition. And that's Mm. what will expand our world. Dr. Stephen Farmer brings years of extensive training and study into his practice. You can find out more at drstephenfarmer.com.
www.thepowerofpositivityradio.com. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.